0: Welcome to A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. I'm glad you've chosen to join us today as we look into the Word of God. So take your Bibles and let's hang out in God's Word for a few moments and see what God would say to us today. Today we're starting a mini-series on fathers in preparation for the release of the movie Courageous. That will be released on the 30th of September. Uh, as a church, uh, we, we're planning to go on the 4th of October, which is a Tuesday night. Uh, it is men and family night, so men, come, bring your family if you would like. If your family can't come, you come alone. Uh, but the reason we're doing it on Tuesday night is because that's discount night. Rather than paying $11, you'll pay $6 on Tuesday night. So uh, we'll just meet at the theater. Uh, the show starts at 7.40, so uh, we'll meet there 7.30 a little before. Get your ticket uh, and go in. But today, we're looking at the kind of father every child needs. I cannot overemphasize the importance of fatherhood. And I will prove that statement with two sentences. The first sentence. Fatherhood is the term that God the Father chose to use to speak of His relationship to Jesus. Second sons. Fatherhood is the concept that God chose to speak of His relationship to Christians, His children. From eternity past God in his infinite wisdom decided that he would represent himself to his people to his elect to his chosen as their heavenly father having decided that then God was faced with another question if he can have a question because he knows the answer already but in our thinking he was faced with another question Since I am going to use the concept of fatherhood to primarily represent and present myself to my people, how do I convey what fatherhood is to a mass of humanity that has no clue? How does God convey fatherhood? In his infinite wisdom, again, he decided he would break up all of humanity into small units called families. And that he would place one in that family that would be his primary representative. That would have the primary function of teaching that unit what fatherhood means. So that they would come to understand his fatherhood as God, the Father. And he decided that his primary representative would bear his name and he would be called Father. See, what we need to understand is the term Father to refer to God did not come from the family structure. It wasn't that the family was created in the Garden of Eden. And when Adam and Eve had children and they called him father, that God said, okay, that's a pretty good idea. I think I'm going to use that. When I want to represent myself to my kids, I'm going to have them call me father. No. It didn't work that way at all. God designed the concept first. And then he went about determining what would be the best way to convey that truth to humanity. And he decided it would be to place one in that family that would be his representative. That would convey to those members what fatherhood was all about. You see, fathers, how crucial a responsibility we have. God is depending on us to give our families... A correct view of fatherhood. So that when they grow older, they will understand what it means for him to be their heavenly father. You see, you can't separate your view of God from your view of your earthly father. If your earthly father was a very stern and demanding man, then you tend to see God as very stern And very demanding. If your father was one of those that made promises but he never kept them, always said we're going to go out and do something on Saturday, but Saturday came and he was busy with something else, then you're going to have trouble believing God keeps His Word. If you had a father that was absent, was hardly ever at home, hardly ever there, and when he was there, he was emotionally absent, then you're going to have difficulty believing God really cares about you and He's really there with you at all times. Now, that's not to say we cannot overcome these shortcomings in our view of God, and we must overcome them. Obviously, no father presents a perfect picture of the Heavenly Father. But our job, dads, is to do the best we can not to put any hindrances, any obstacles in the way of our children seeing the Heavenly Father as He really is. We want our lives not to be an obstacle to them coming to know the Heavenly Father, but to be a gateway, to be a highway that they will most naturally, because they understand from us, fatherhood with its love and with its its firmness and with its gentleness, that they want to know the Heavenly Father as well. They'll have less they have to overcome to understand the heavenly Father. So that brings us to the question, how do we fulfill such an awesome task? Well, I think in First Thessalonians chapter 2, God gives us three essential truths, fathers, That will help you to be the kind of father that every child needs. And that's the father that will give them an accurate representation of the heavenly father. And therefore they will grow up to love and obey him. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'll begin reading in verse 9. And read through verse 12. Let me ask you to stand in respect for God's word. Paul writing to the church at Thessalonica says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you believers, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you As a father would his own children. So that you may walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You may be seated. The three essential truths come from verse 11. In those three key words. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging And imploring, and look at what he says, as a father would his own children. Paul's talking about his relationship to these Christians as he was among them in their infant stage of their spiritual growth. And he says his relationship to them was much like a father's relationship in a family situation. And when he says these three things encouraging And exhorting and imploring as a father would his children, that's telling me that we need to be doing this to our children. Just like Paul did it to his spiritual children. We need to be doing it to our earthly children, our physical children. And so there are three truths we're going to see this morning. Every child needs a father that is personally involved in their lives. Every child needs a father who is living a righteous lifestyle, who has righteous conduct. And every child needs a father who will speak nurturing words to them. That's where we're going. Number one, every child needs a father that is personally involved in their lives. This is found in the word exhorting. Now, the word exhorting in the Greek is the word parakaleo. It's used to speak of the Holy Spirit in the Gospel of John, the paraclete. It literally means one who is called, kaleo is to call, para, alongside, parallel lines. One who's called alongside another person for the purpose of encouraging that person, for the purpose of comforting that person, or maybe for the purpose of, Exhorting that person. But the Word is rich with personal involvement. The parakaleo, the Holy Spirit, is involved with us intimately. Look at the words that Paul uses in verse 8 and how they all speak of a relationship, and involvement. Having so fond an affection for you we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become very dear to us. Those are all words of personal involvement. Dads, you must be involved in the lives of your children. One survey in a recent city said that the average father spent 37 seconds a day In interreaction with his children. When I read that, I thought, what? 37 seconds a day? But then I started thinking about it. How long does it take to say, be quiet. Go to your room. Pick up your mess. Stop talking. Turn the TV down. It's time for bed. You can do a lot of that in 37 seconds. You see, we have fallen into the deception of Satan that says a father's place is to be out making the living and his mother's place to be home taking care of the children. And so the average dad thinks if he's been out there working his 40 to 50 hours a week, if he's bringing home that paycheck, if he's providing a roof over their heads, if he's providing clothes on their back and food on the table, he's done his job. I've done my part. It's your job, honey, to take care of the kids. That's a lie of Satan. What our families really need, men, is our presence. They need us, not the things we can buy them. They need me and they need you to be involved in their lives. There's nothing wrong with providing them with a house to live in and clothes to wear and food on the table, obviously nothing wrong providing them with a computer and, and some other things. But if you've got to work two jobs just to make ends meet, wait a minute. You need to cut back. Because you're not providing them what they really need, and that is your presence. They need your presence, not your presents. Get the difference? They need you. Paul says there is to be a fond affection for your children. Now, this is the idea of longing to be with someone. In other words, you're to enjoy being with your children. Enjoy doing things with them. Being with your children should be one of the joys of your life. Going out and having fun together. Playing together. You say, but kid, my the preacher, my kid bugs me. Well, now whose fault is that? You see, kids just do what we teach them to do. And if he's bugging you, you haven't trained him right. So he will not bug you. When my kids were young, indeed, one of the greatest joys of my life was being with my kids. Man, you don't know how many days I came home from church just totally emotionally depleted. And yet, get home and get those kids and start hugging on them and playing with them. And you know, it just all came back. That energy just got infused back in me. It helped me remember what it was all about. That's what it's all about. Personally involved with their life. He says, impart our lives to you. Dads must impart their lives to their children. Pour your life into them. Ross Campbell, a Christian psychiatrist, talks about five essential ingredients That children need if they're going to feel loved. He says parents love their children, but not all children feel loved. And dads, if you're going to pour your life into your child, you need to have eye contact with them. You need to be looking them right in the eyes when you're talking to them. You need to have appropriate physical touch. A hug. A kiss on the forehead. it's a guy wrestling with him. You need to have that appropriate physical contact. A touch on the shoulder. You need to also have focused attention. You need to spend time with that kid when they think this is the most important thing my dad's doing. He sees this as more important than anything else right now. Being with me. Doing things we like to do together. And then discipline. Discipline is important for a child to feel loved. A child who has no discipline doesn't feel loved. They feel like my parents don't care. As you know, I had four daughters before I had any boys. Now, what you may not know is I grew up in a family with all boys. So you could put as much as I knew about little girls into a thimble and it wouldn't be half full. So when I started having girls, I had a decision I had to make. Now, my mother came from a family of all girls. And her dad chose to go to the firehouse, the fire station, every day and play checkers. He didn't know what to do with girls. So he just went to the fire station and hung out. Now, I was determined I wasn't going to do that. I said, God, you've given me a daughter, I'm going to get involved in her life. And so it meant playing dollhouse. It meant learning about Care Bears. It meant learning about Rainbow Bright. It meant learning all these girl things. Did I enjoy care bears and all those things? No, but I enjoyed playing with my girls. I enjoyed being with them. Doing things with them. I was determined, I'm going to be a part of their lives. Now that was the easy part. When they got to be teenagers is when it got hard. Because they want to talk about boys. I didn't want to talk about boys. That was the last thing I wanted to talk about. We'd be going down the street, riding in the car, and one of them would say, Oh, look at him. He's a hottie. Now, when I was growing up, that word didn't mean the same as it meant to them. And boy, first time one of them said that, I almost blew my stack. And Terry said, Wait a minute. She said, They don't mean the same thing you do when you say something like that. So I had to learn quick about girls and how they think. But I was determined. It was a commitment to be involved in their lives. If you're not involved with them when they're three, they're not going to talk to you when they're 13. But if you get involved in their lives when they're young, they'll continue to be involved with you when they grow up. Dads, our kids, must have fathers that are involved in their lives. It must be a priority. Look in Genesis 18. Abraham imparted his life and his values to his children. God was talking about destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. And he decided he's talking to himself in this passage and he's going to let Abraham know about it before it happens because. He said, For I have chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Do you see that? God gave Abraham the responsibility to teach his children, to command his children and his household to keep the way of the Lord. He was imparting to them his life, his commitment to God, his desire to walk in the ways of God, and what God required of them. It was not the mom's responsibility dads. It was Abraham's responsibility to do that. God gave it to Abraham. He didn't give it to Sarah. It was Abraham's job. Too many men want to relegate the spiritual instruction to the mother. Well, she just knows the Bible better than I do. That doesn't matter. God's given you the job. He's given you the responsibility, guys. Look in Deuteronomy chapter 6. He says, These words which I'm commanding you today shall be on your heart. And He's talking to the fathers. You shall teach them diligently to your sons You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. When is he to teach them? When you're laying down, when you're rising up, when you're walking by the way. Now that looks like personal involvement to me. That means the guy's with his kids, right? You know, he doesn't just set aside 30 minutes one day and say, okay, now we're going to have some teaching time. No, he's with them all the time. He's teaching them all the time. You see, dads, you are the family minister. That's why I encourage dads to assist me in baptizing their children. Now, I don't know anybody else that does that. Probably are, but I don't know them. But that's okay. Because I do it because of the picture I want your kids to remember. When your kids think about who baptized them, I want them to think about you, not me. Now, most of you, when you think about who baptized you, you think about the preacher, don't you? But there are a number of kids in here that think about their dad is the one who baptized them. And I think it helps to promote the truth and helps the dad to realize it. and helps the kids to realize it, that my dad's the family minister. You know, it would tickle me to death if somebody came up to one of your kids and said, Who's your minister? And they said, My dad. Not Pastor A. T., but my dad. He's my primary minister. That is God's way. I want to show you some scientific involvement, scientific data that's come out on involvement. Now, I was shocked to death. The the source. The source is the United States Department of Health and Human Services. Now, I went on the Internet and I said, I know it's important for dads. The Bible says it. But there are people out there that want to see the scientific data. All right, let's go see what it is. This was an article written to social workers to show them how important it was when they communicate with families to get the fathers involved. All right? Look at what it says. Noted sociologist Dr. David Popeno says fathers are four more than just second adults in the home, he says. Involved fathers bring positive benefits to their children that no other person is as likely to bring. Fathers have a direct impact on the well-being of their children. What are some of those beneficial aspects? Greater cognitive ability and educational achievement. A number of studies suggest that fathers who are involved nurturing and playful with their infants Have children with higher IQs, as well as better linguistic and cognitive capacities. Guys, when you're involved with your children, you're giving them a leg up educationally, intelligence-wise. Also, better psychological well-being and social behavior. Even from birth, children who have an involved father are more likely to be emotionally secure, be confident to explore their surroundings, And as they grow older, have better social connections with their peers. Now that's secular scientific data from the United States Department of Health and Human Services simply verifying, simply affirming what God has always said in His Word. Dads, we need to be involved in the lives of our children. So the first thing every child needs is a dad who's involved in their lives. Who goes to see them play sports, who goes to their plays, who comes when they're on the puppet team, who's there to be with them and see them. But we also need a dad who is living rightly, who has righteous conduct. This comes from the word imploring. The word imploring is actually the word martyrio, which is the word for martyr. And it literally means to witness. To bear testimony. Now what we're talking about here is a living witness. Dad not only is to verbally witness to the things of God, but he's to be a living testimony. You see, dads you are the first Bible your kids read. Before they're ever reading the Bible, they're reading your life. And they need to see you as a man of integrity. Look in verse 10 at the words. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we have behaved toward you believers. This is the same conduct we need to have toward our families. First, devoutly. That word means holy. Your children need to see you as a holy man. As a man who spends time on his knees in prayer. Your kids need to see you praying, dads. They need to see you with your Bible open, studying the Word of God. You see, that hasn't been the case. And so the idea has come up that Christianity is a woman's thing. And when guys don't see their dad on his knees in prayer and opening the Word of God and coming to church, they think it's sissy stuff to be a Christian. That's something women do. Nothing could be further from the truth. Your children must see you as a man of integrity. A man with a consistent walk with God. You are to be the model Christian in their lives. They are to see you as an example of how a Christian behaves and how a Christian talks and how a Christian thinks. They should have to look no further than you, Dad, to find out how they should live. Because God's placed that responsibility on your shoulders when He gave you the name Father. So we must be righteous in our conduct. He also uses the words uprightly and blamelessly. That means we need to live in accord with the Bible. You ought to be that example to your kids. Look at Jacob over in Genesis 35. When he was coming back to the promised land after serving his father-in-law for those years. And he knows things need to get right with God as he comes back. And we read in Genesis 35, So Jacob said to his household and to all who were with him, Put away the foreign gods which are among you. Purify yourselves. Change your garments. And let us arise and go to Bethel. And I will make an altar there to God. Jacob was leading his family to get right with God. Put away those things that are displeasing to God, and let's get back into right relation with God. That's what dads are called to do. We're called to be in right relation to God, and we're called to lead our families to put away those things that are not pleasing to God, music, movies, whatever it might be, books, and get things right with God. Again, there was a survey that was done in Switzerland. The government did it. It said mothers who attend church regularly, but the father does not attend church regularly, 2% of those children will end up going to church regularly. 2% if the mother goes and the dad doesn't go at all. In the families where the dad went regularly but mother did not go at all, the children had a ninety-three percent probability—excuse me, a forty-four percent probability—that they would go to church when they got older. Let's look at that: two percent compared to forty-four percent. How can you explain that? Why does the dad have so much influence over his children's involvement in Christianity? I explain it because God gave him the name Father. And therefore God built within the fabric, the psyche of the family, that the dad's influence would be mighty. And this study bears it out. The Baptist Press did a study as well. Now look at this. They found if the mother was the first one to become a Christian in the household, there was a 17% probability that everyone in the household would follow. If the dad was the first one to become a Christian in the household, it was a 93% probability that the rest of the family would become Christians. Look at that. 17 to 93 percent. How do you explain that? How can a man have that much influence over his family? Because that's the way God set it up. It's an awesome responsibility, guys, to lead our family in the ways of God. So first, every child needs a dad who's personally involved in their life. Secondly, every child needs a dad who's living righteously, has righteous conduct. And then thirdly, every child needs a dad who gives them nurturing words. Nurturing words. Here again, the verse the word we're looking at is encouraging. How we encouraged, encouraged you. The word encourage here means literally it's the word to speak near. It carries the idea of speaking near with tenderness. Being someone who is tender. Paul had a nurturing relationship with these Thessalonians. He was helping them to grow spiritually. In this nurturing relationship, it's built upon the first two. It's built upon the personal involvement and the righteous conduct. You see, you need the personal involvement before you can nurture your kids. If they don't know you, how can you nurture them? How can they see your life? How can they see your heart for God if you don't spend time with them? And then if you're not living rightly, they just see you as a hypocrite. So you've got to add the personal involvement, the righteous conduct, and then you can have that nurturing relationship. Fathers must have this nurturing time with their kids. In fact, God commands it. Look in Ephesians 6, 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up. And that word is the same word translated nurture. But nurture them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. We are commanded to nurture our kids. That is, we are to exhort and encourage our children to follow God's way. To follow the right path. Now, we've got to be careful in doing this, guys. Guys. Because the tendency of many men in being an encourager is to become like a drill sergeant. And to become very over demanding. And to become even harsh in their exhorting. And they're never satisfied. And you know what happens when that is the case? The kids lose heart. And so we're told in Colossians 3.21, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. That they may not lose heart. Now do you know how we exasperate our kids? When we're never satisfied with what they do, when we're never pleased with what they do, when we don't tell them what pleases us, and then if we do tell them and they do it, we don't act satisfied. Example. All kid comes home with a ninety five. Dad says, Why didn't you make a hundred? And that's you may somebody may think that's far fetched. That's not. And then the kid goes away. Well, I guess I gotta do better next time. Well then the kid comes back, ninety seven. Well, why didn't you make a hundred? Need to study more. Then the kid comes back, with a hundred. Boy, he's excited. He says, Here, Dad, look. Dad looks at it and says, Okay, I knew you could do it and I expect you to do it every time. That happens more than you might imagine. And you know what that kid does? He walks away saying, he's never satisfied. I can never do enough. Now, to that dad's benefit, he's probably just wanting that kid to do the best he can do. And he somehow has got an impression, maybe his dad was that way, that he's got to keep his feet to the fire to get him to do anything. But what about this scenario? The kid comes back with a 95 first time of the day and day. He says, man, great, man, I'm so glad you made a 95. That's an A. Man, you're smart. Now, you think that kid's going to go away think, well, man, I made a 95 so I don't have to study next time. My dad's happy. It doesn't matter. Is he going to say that? I think most kids will say, man, my dad loved that 95. I want to give him better than that. I want to do better. Comes back with that 97. Man. Woo, that's great. man, you must have studied hard. I really appreciate that. Now, what's that kid going do? He would want to do better. You see, we need to encourage our kids with affirmation more than negative criticism. Now, there's a place for negative criticism. But I think positive reinforcement works better on most people. Because kids want to do well. you know, I found this out with my guys when, when they were playing baseball in Little League. I tend to be at the head that's like this. And, uh, you know, they, they play a game and, and, you know, they may have had six balls hit to them in the outfield and they caught all but one. Well, you know what I think about. The one they missed. So... You know, we get in the car, and rather than saying, man, you called five flies today, that was great. Now, if I would said that, do you think that makes him want to say, well, then next game I'll miss one and catch the rest of them, he'll still be happy. No. They, they knew what they did wrong. You know, and then I, God said, look, they know what they did wrong. They know they missed that ball, and they were not happy they missed that ball. You don't have to bring it up. They're not going to go back next week and say, well, I'm going to miss one this week too because I did last week and Dad didn't say anything. No. They knew what they did wrong. They knew they'd missed it. So don't say anything. Say good stuff. Man, it was a great game today. You know, I appreciate those two hits you got. Don't mention the strikeout. Just mention the hit they got. And then maybe a couple of days later, you might come back and say, "You know, I noticed in that game that when that fly ball was hit to you, that you know you didn't have your glove in the right position to catch it. Don't you remember that? Yeah, Dad, I do. Wait, what do you think if you had had your glove in 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 this position and had your other hand over here? Think that would have been better? Yeah, yeah, Dad, I think that will. Let's go out and practice that. You see, that's all the difference in the world. And on the way home from that game, jumping on that one mistake." Harpy and harpy and harpy. Your children need to see you as a dad who speaks words of tenderness. They need to see you as a source of comfort. Encouraging, consoling, speaking near. It is foreign to the scriptures that a dad would not be a source of comfort for his children. When your children experience emotional hurt and pain at school and other places, they need to be able to come home and crawl up in Dad's lap and you say, Honey, you know, I don't care what they said. You are special to me. You are my beautiful princess. I love you. Because they're going to have things said to them that hurt. They're going to come home and people have bruised them. But they need to know that they can come home and Dad's going to just... Sweep them up in his arms, and he's going to make everything all right. That their daddy's happy with them. That he loves them. And everything's going to be all right. Speak words of tenderness. Dads, don't be afraid to show affection, appropriate affection to your kids. Kiss them. Love on them. It won't make those boys sissies. It'll make them men. Because they'll feel good about their masculinity. It'll make those girls... Did you know... A meaningful relationship with a daughter, a dad, and a daughter is the best thing to keep her from being sexually promiscuous. Let me share with you a study from all places, MSNBC. Hear this, MSNBC, all right? Teenagers whose fathers are more involved in their lives are less likely to engage in rescue Excuse me, risky sexual behavior. While an involved mother can also help stave off teen sexual activity, dads have twice the influence. Now, how do you explain that? How do you explain that a dad can have twice the influence of a mother? God calls us father, He put it in there, dads. See the awesome responsibility that we have? Also, again, from the United States Department of Health and Human Services, numerous studies find that an active and nurturing style of fathering is associated with better verbal skills, intellectual functioning, and academic achievement among adolescents. Not just young kids, but adolescents. As God's Word says it, that's all we really need. We've got to be involved in the lives of our kids. We've got to be living righteously before them, imparting our lives to them. And we need to be speaking tenderly and caring for them and nurturing them. But scientific data backs it up as well. Dad, will you be the kind of father your child needs? By God's grace, you can be. And one of the first steps I'm going to encourage you is to go see the movie, Courageous. It will help jumpstart and get you motivated. It's about men who are struggling as fathers and what it means to find the right path and to step up, to man up, and be that dad. Let's pray. We do welcome you, and I'm glad that you have taken the opportunity to listen to a sermon on our internet, and I want you just to know that uh, everybody in the church is not like me. Uh, I have these fellows up here, our leadership team. Uh, This is Filiberto Medina, who is our Hispanic pastor, and our Hispanic congregation meets every Sunday evening at 6.30. This is Paul Kumar. He is our Minister of Community Connections, Uh, and to my left is Mark Baker who heads up our Reformers Unanimous Ministry, which is a Christian addiction recovery program that meets every Friday night at 7 o'clock. So if you live in the Mableton area, uh, and it doesn't matter what race you're from, it doesn't matter your cultural background, I want you to know you are welcome at Westside Church. This is where everybody is somebody and Jesus is Lord. Hope you'll join us soon. Thank you for being with us for this message. Each week, Dr. Stewart gives practical applications and ways to live out the Word of God. If you would like more information, please take a moment to view our website at wbcfamily.org. That's wbcfamily.org.